When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the latest House of League episode. I'm Matt Short. Alongside, we've got a special guest actually today because uh, we've arrived on the biggest game of the season. Uh, and I, I don't know if many people would anticipated this being one of the big games of the season come pre-season because uh, the team in question were a bit of a enigma, a bit of a mystery. No one quite knew what to expect from them, but what we know now is that they're actually a pretty good rugby league team. They've won eight out of eight and they're looking to make it nine out of nine on Friday. Warrington Wolves, of course, the team in question. And joining us this morning as we're recording this is the Warrington CEO, Carl Fitzpatrick. Carl, welcome to House of League. Thank you for joining us on a very early morning. But I suppose it's the only time you've got at the minute because you've got ticket sales, you're driving, you'll have... No doubt, all sorts that you've got planned for the day uh, or the evening it'll be. Uh, are you looking forward to it? It's a, it's a massive game, isn't it? It Don't is. It, it is, yeah. And it's great to see you nice early in the morning, Matthew. Uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned previously, I recommend the 5am book or the 5am club. Get up early, attack the day, mate. Uh, get uh, get through a lot of stuff early morning. And I must say, that's one of, your, that's one of the most kindest descriptions that we've... Uh, that we had labelled on us last year was a, an enigma. That's quite kind of you, actually. It's you were, I mean, you weren't an enigma last year. You just, <laughs> just weren't very good, were you? Let's be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's one of the kind of descriptions that we've that we've had. But yeah, you, you're right. I think what a, I think this is uh, probably the game of the season thus far. Uh, first versus second. Do you know what I mean? Hundred years of of rivalry going into this. Uh, both coming off two tremendous wins over Easter, which I think was a, do you mean a sensational weekend for the sport as a whole? Seeing those packed out stadiums, some tremendous games, uh, and we go again this Friday. So really excited. We're heading for a sellout. Uh, ticket sales have uh, performed performed extremely well, and to be fair, since day one, the crowds have been back from from round one against Leeds. Uh, but yet to hang up that sold out sign is going to be again another real boost for for the Super League. The the attendances have been great across the board, haven't they? But why do you think it is? Because you know, from the outside looking in, people go, "Well, there's nothing really different that the clubs are doing, not massively, but but clearly something's going on because it, it's pretty much across the board, by the odd exception." Do you know what, Matt, Matt? I think there's two things. One, I think the World Cup. Hmm. I think we've seen uh, a positive response on the back of the World Cup with all the games being on on BBC. And two, I think, and, and, and then this is purely anecdotal, but from my own experience, is coming off the back of COVID, I think people are tending to go out more, uh, spending more time with the family uh, and saying yes to a lot of things where previously they may, they may have stayed in. So I think uh, I think that's had a had a, a, a burn on the attendances being strong. But you are right. I think there's so much positivity 
around the sport at the minute. I think it's I think it's tremendous as we enter a really important stage with uh, negotiations with, with uh, a new broadcaster uh, or current current broadcaster, I should say, at the end of the season. So yeah, I think the sport's in a really good spot at the moment. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting the broadcast deal because it's obviously becoming a bigger and bigger topic as the days and weeks go by. Uh, I think clubs had a bit of an update, didn't they, over the week last week? But it was there wasn't a great deal said, was there? But clearly, the, there's a lot going on with that conversation. I think Roger Jones has mentioned, you know, the the possibility of more streaming and and then yeah. different broadcasters and different teams coming to the party. I suppose it it has the potential to be the most complex, um, the most wide-ranging TV deal the sport's ever had, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think in this in this day and age, I think when you look at other sports properties and how they, uh, the offerings that they provide, it's not, it's not, it, it tends to be not just a, uh, a what a single package that takes the whole sport. And I think that's what we're looking at the moment is, is curving up different packages, different deals, maybe Friday night, Thursday night, first pick, second pick, some streaming, some free to work. Uh, and Rodri's doing a great job. He's got a fantastic relationship with with all those broadcasters, in particular Sky Sports and and Channel Four. And you mentioned streaming there. I thought the streaming uh, was was very good. The Hull and Salford game was excellent uh, on our league. Yeah. Yeah, on the our league app, yeah, I thought it was excellent. I think some uh, minor TV problems that we need to iron out. But I think in the main, I think it was excellent. I'm not too sure my cameras were on site, but it was certainly. Certainly suffice and certainly enough. So again, that's another opportunity that they can look to uh, to commercialise. So yeah, I think as I mentioned, the sports in a really good position at the moment. Some really positive discussions going on with uh, with Rodri and, and Sky Sports and, and other potential broadcasters. So uh, no doubt in in due course we'll uh, we'll uh, get a, a broadcaster on on board and maybe a number of broadcasters. You talked about first pick, second picks. I would imagine that nearly everyone would see first pick as this game that you're playing on Friday against Wigan. Um, let's just go through this season so far. Because the, the story of last year and the trials and tribulations, you know, it, it's been well documented and and everyone everyone knows the challenges you faced last year. But, but what about this year? I remember seeing you about an hour before the first game of the season against... <laughs> Leads, and I don't think you'll you'll mind me saying this. You were a bag of nerves. You were you were a nervous wreck. Let's just go just go back to that evening. Like what what was going through your mind? You know, leading into that game with the Rhinos. Do you know what? Because in pre-season, you hear this from a lot of clubs that pre-season's been brilliant. Do you know what I mean? The vibes good. The connections are great. The lads are fitter than ever been. The combinations, do you know what I mean, are really working well. And you hear that from most clubs, but you don't actually know until no. kick off in the first game. Even the friendlies can sometimes be a little bit misleading with teams putting out weakened sides or making wholesale substitutes. Uh, but I must say, I think I thought the league game was a real good. Uh, a real good precursor to the season. It really tested. I was really impressed with Lee in that first 20 minutes in that uh, Ben Curry's testimonial. They really got into us. I think that prepared us well for the start of, start of the season. So although we was we was happy how we went about our business in pre-season, in particular our recruitment that started midway through the season before, but we thought that we had great balance within the, within the playing squad. Matt, you don't 
entirely normal until you actually start actually start playing and i knew that we had to get off to a really positive start just to banish the demons from 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 last season uh, and certainly that the, the lads did that in uh, in great fashion and we've been we've been great ever since but i think i think we won we won three out of three the season before and that kept getting to me we kept getting reminded of that but i think when we won three out of three to start of this season it was very much in different fashion. We put Leeds to the sword. Uh, I can't remember what second game was. Was it, was it Salford or was it was it uh, Huddersfield away? Huddersfield which, away was game two, yeah. Yeah, which was a real high-quality game, uh, a real game of attrition. Then it was Salford at home where mm. they blew us away in the first half. And again, we started, uh, we, didn't, we didn't start great, but came back in second half and blew them away and ended up being convincing convincing winners and I think at half time I think being behind at, at half time I think was a real positive was in, in the end ended up being a real positive uh situation for us because it could have easily have gone good uh gone back to last season if that was last season that sense of being 50 points 60 points yeah whereas it gave us that opportunity to, again to banish those demons to add that adversity and come through and bearing in mind, we had some adversity before the start of the season. We lost Gil Goodson with a broken with a broken hand and lost uh, Josh Maguire yeah. with a seven-game suspension. So two of our our, uh, our signings for the middles, we lost. So we had that bit of adversity, which put a bit of a damper on that first game. Uh, but the lads did a tremendous job and we, we started off in a, in a really positive way. Just how... Impressive, do you think it has been that the demons from last year have, have been put to one side seemingly by the team? The, the reason I ask that is you we talk about adversity. You mentioned the Salford game, perfect example, and you're right, that would have become a 50 point job last yeah. year. You played Hull KR away, uh, you had all sorts of issues with travel, long day, I think it was snowing. That last year seems to me like a game that the excuses were already made, you'd have probably lost. Yeah, Catalans, you go down a man against a very good team. Um, probably wouldn't have yeah. won that game, but it seems like all these hurdles that have been put in your way at the minute, you're leaping over, coming through the other side. Um, yeah, and that that's not easy at the best of times. Never mind when you've got all of those thoughts, negative thoughts from last year and negative experiences. So how how do you think as a as a team and as a club? You've been able to rectify all that and do it so emphatically well. I think the number of number of reasons. I think the new signings that have come in, as I mentioned, I mentioned previously, that yes, great players, but also great leaders as well. <clears throat> I also think some of the players that we retained for the season are still in the contract. Them going through that adversity last year enabled them to to grow and deal with uh, those tough circumstances. And probably George Williams is the best example of that. I thought George was great last year, and he he found his voice last year as well when we needed people to stand up and be leaders. So I think he grew through that adversity last season. Then he goes into a World Cup where he was outstanding. He was given the honour of being the England captain in Sam's absence. Again, that that developed his leadership qualities. And then he's come into pre-season. His leadership has really really grown. I've known George a long time even before he joined us. I'm pretty close with his with his uh, with his dad. And I went to Portugal watching him train. Uh, at the uh, at Browns, the, the warm weather training camp in, in pre-season. And one of the things that I took away from that 
was I heard they was on each other, the accountability was playing each other. When George wanted the ball and he didn't get the ball, he made he let the he let the Uka know he wasn't happy. I'd not seen that really before in George. He got into him and there's and, and that that's infectious. That went around the play squad and all of a sudden the standards, the accountability, the expectations that they're putting on one another has risen. And I think we've got a really good leadership squad as well with Stefan Ratchford, Peter Matotia, George and Josh Maguire, who are driving really, really high standards. So mm -hmm. I think it's been a combination of things. Uh, that, But going through last year wasn't great, it was wasn't horrendous, but it was a great learning experience, certainly for myself, for the coaches, and in particular for some of the players that are still here. Mm -hmm. hey, this is an easy question for me to ask now, because you've won eight out of eight. Um... And it's hypothetical anyway. Let's say the start of this season hadn't gone to plan. What happens to Warrington Wolves? What happens to, <laughs> what happens to the team? What happens to Daryl Powell? What happens for yourself and the board? Uh, what happens for the club commercially, corporately? It, it's, a, it's a multifaceted question, despite it being quite a simple one. But, you know, it, it, that would have been a really, really, well, an almost impossible situation to deal with, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, look, it, it, it was, and last year the financial ramifications was significant due to the poor performance. Uh, look, we'll, we'll put out marketing campaigns, etc., etc. But what happens between whistle to whistle is the biggest driver and influence uh, on attendances, uh, and obviously that impacts on secondary spend. So it was a really difficult year last year. Again, coming off the back of COVID as well, and you look at. I think it was only one club last year that, that made a profit. St. Helens that won the league, uh, that won the GF. I think they posted at 1.5, 1.6 million loss. So we're still doing it really, really tough for us. That was compounded by a really poor on-field uh, on, on, on field performance. And so, again, if we would have replicated that this year, it would have been even e even tougher. But I think it's unfair to say that, you know, what, you know, what, what we would have done with the coach or, or, or whatever if, if if results hadn't gone our way. But what I will say is when we interviewed Daryl, he made it clear that this is a rebuild. Mm -hmm. Looking at the age of the players in the squad, looking at the length of contracts that we uh, that those players had left, he said, Look, I think this is a this is a rebuild. Now did we anticipate last year was going to be as painful as it uh, played out? Absolutely not. But we kind of knew that well, that squad wasn't wasn't what uh, was what he wanted. He wanted to often mm. put his own stamp on 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 his uh, on, on on the team. And what having fourteen players off contract, although we felt with the effects of that last year, do you know what I mean? That uncertainty, and I, and, and I get it from a player's perspective. Where when, when do you mean the feeling that they're not wanted? That are they do you know what I mean? Totally totally motivated. Uh, but what that did allow was make wholesale changes. I think Hull are going through a similar similar process at the moment, aren't they? Uh, but what it did is it allowed us to make those significant changes and, and allowed Daryl to put his own stamp on the team and bring his own players in. One he's brought in is Paul Vaughan. Um, how on earth did you get that bloke? How did you sign that player? Because he has been unbelievably good, like stu stupidly good. Yeah. How, how did you get that deal done? Well, we knew that we had to provide reinforcements for our middles. Our pack wasn't big enough last year. It wasn't big enough. So we needed some big men. 
uh, and again, we've got a great relationship with his with his manager, uh, Daryl Daryl Mather. Uh, so we was made aware that uh, the Bulldogs was a little bit uncertain if they was going to retain him. Uh, so we did our due diligence, and the numbers that he were posting was was incredible. His meters, his uh, meters after contact, was was phenomenal. And at the time, I went over to Magic uh, in in Brisbane to do some to do some business. Uh, one to meet with Thomas McKayley, who coincidentally uh, was one of Daryl Mather's players. And whilst over there, we got speaking about uh, speaking about Paul. I was aware that he met. Uh, a couple of other Super League clubs, uh, but after we'd done our due diligence and our recruitment reporting, and we thought it was a player that we couldn't miss out on. So once we entered in discussions with with Paul and his and his, uh, and his and his agents, it happened relatively quickly, really. And I must say, probably after he signed for us, his performances probably enhanced even further at the Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. And also, this is a player that pre uh, pre World Cup he, he played. Sorry. He played for Australia in their last competitive game before the World Cup. So this was an international player that has high pedigree. Look, it's been well documented the uh, to mean that the, the the barbecue and 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 the, and the COVID situation. What he learned from that, and he was, mm-hmm. I mean, he's very very remorseful uh, and probably got a lot of unfair stick because of that. Uh, so. I had a conversation with Paul, and then Daryl had a conversation with Paul, and we had Zoom calls, and do you know what I mean? And it happened relatively quickly, actually. Uh, but the feedback was very positive on him from a character perspective. I remember speaking with Trent Barrett, who was the coach of the Bulldogs at the time, and he gave him an absolute glowing reference. Hmm. Uh, said he'd be outstanding over in Super League. The game suits him over here, uh, and obviously he's, he's certainly he's certainly delivered on that. But he's mm-hmm. not only is he a, he's a, he's been a fantastic player, but he's such a super bloke as well. Really positive, really affable. Uh, got a lovely family, uh, so he's been a really, a really, really positive acquisition for the club. And again, in terms of setting setting standards, do you know what I mean? He trains phenomenally hard, and he's an outstanding professional. I was going to say because there were obviously the, the things about his character. I remember the after the Salford game, I was walking around the the edge of the pitch and obviously the players chat to people don't they and and so on he was the last one out there and he he was having a a conversation with five elderly supporters elderly uh, female supporters like you're in a mother's meeting with them and I thought just never would have ever expected that from not just the way he plays the game but you know the the stuff you'd seen in the media I thought that's incredible and And you know there's there's actually a story Mark it was after we'd signed him actually that I think he was on his way to training or way way uh, on the way back from a game or something like that, where someone had broke them down at the side of the road and they stopped to help them, help them change the tyre. Uh, so that, again, that's just a, do you know I mean? a, a reflection of what he's like as a bloke. And I think that's what we've focused on this year is, yes, the great players, but probably more importantly, great people and great characters. You've also been busy with your retention because... You've announced that George Williams and Paul Vaughan have signed new deals for so 2026 and 2025, respectively. Let's go through them. Just on George, were you worried you were going to lose him? You know, I don't think it's a secret there was a lot of NRL interest in there. He made some comments on Sky Sports the other week um, and alluded to the fact that, well, I read between the lines that he fancied another crack at the NRL, but you've got the deal done. Uh, did you think it was going to be difficult? 
Yeah, to be being brutally honest, yes. So I was well, it was it wasn't going anywhere next year. Anyway. It was under contract at the end of twenty twenty four. It wasn't going anywhere next year. We we made that clear. Uh, I went and met him after the World Cup. Uh, obviously, his stock rose even further after the. It was even further after the after the World Cup. Uh, and the, and they had the, a lot of NRL cultures across here during that period. So, uh, and he had his, possibly his head turned by some of the players in camp in terms of going back to the NRL. So I went to have a chat with him about staying beyond 2024, and he was uh, he was he was open. He was open to it. He was open to it. But you need to remember, he'd just come off the back of a, a season which was the worst in our our history. Uh, so, so trying to. You know, you convinced him beyond 2024 at that time was difficult when we was weren't in a great spot. But look, he was he was relatively open to it. He was relatively open to it. Uh, but I was acutely aware, I was acutely aware that there was some uh, genuine NRL interest. Uh, obviously, we started the season in a in a really positive fashion. Uh, but I reckon it was Matt from meeting his agent uh, and tabling the offer to him agreeing. I reckon it was less than a week. I reckon really? it was like, yeah, I reckon, I reckon it was about, I think it was six days, all in all, uh, which again shows, do you mean, the, the positive environment that we've created here. And he's, and he's happy uh, with with Charlie and, and, and Pearl. So uh, I, I was surprised actually. I was surprised how quickly that uh, we turned it around and got a positive answer. Yeah. I wouldn't, you see that that staggers me. That yeah, I'm really really surprised by that because it was only. I think it was George on. Um, he did the Sky Sports, didn't he? What? Yeah. Was, he it, did. was it last week? Was it last yeah, week? Yeah, he did. The, I think it was the week. It was the. It was the. It was the week before. Right, and so yeah. you, you listen to that, and my head's going. He wants an RL. He wants yeah. an RL. So I mean, and uh, you'll have heard those comments, and, and you know. You, you're like me, you read it, you read between the lines. Yeah. Were you thinking the same? You're like, oh, God. <laughs> I, think, well, I, think the, I think George had a feeling that he had a bit of unfinished business over in the NRL, and I thought he was great at, at, at the Raiders, to be fair, but obviously we didn't end great with him, with him, with him leaving halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he had a bit of, a bit of feeling that there's unfinished, unfinished business at the NRL. However, he is absolutely driven to do something special at this club, and I think that was one of the reasons why he joined Warrington in the first place. He's obviously we've not, we've not, uh, we've not won the big one yet, so he was really excited, excited to do that. Uh, but also, we are building something special here. We're building something special just with the environment, uh, with the connections, his relationship with the. With, with the uh, with with the head coach, so I think he wants to be wants to be a part of that. He wants to be a part of that. As I say, he's happy. He's really happy. Here. So uh, I probably when he's I mean when he's weighed it all up, I mean it, it was uh, he thought it was best to best to stay. You, you um, it, it was well documented when he signed you initially. Um, he was he was going to be one of the the, the best paid players in the league. Um, he, you know, everyone knew the, the star quality you were signing, um, but normally they're the hardest negotiations, aren't they? Because they, they, you know, they can be anyway. So in terms of 
negotiating, if it only went on six days, I can't. I'm assuming that George didn't ask for a great deal more than you know what what you you present along the table because normally these negotiations when it's like that take weeks, months rather than days. Yeah, it does. But again, it was look. It's it's a good offer. Uh, could he have got more in the NRL? Possibly, mm. possibly. Uh, but I think the fact, Matt, that he's that he's very happy here. He's very happy here. He's very settled here. And one thing that we've done this year, Matt, which again, last learning from last year, we've, we've connected with families. We've mm-hmm. brought this this like this family atmosphere where everyone's in it together. Everyone everyone's really close. Uh, really engaged with uh, with all the families and with Charlie, his his his, his partner, and do you mean creating those that, that real family environment? So she's really happy. He's really happy. So I think he's just decided. Look, I'm in a really good spot here. I'm really enjoying the rugby. I'm playing really well. I'm being well looked after. So in the end, it must have been a straight a straightforward decision. Because he was sort of visual. Well, obviously, he was he was highly. Highly sought after. Yeah, yeah. On to Paul. Um, well, I suppose the, the assumption is that might have been easier, but then he's played that well. There's, there's going to be there's going to be people looking at him, surely. No, you what know? again, Matt? Again, it was what a week. We turned that round in a week, I reckon. Right. Relative, relatively, relatively, relatively straightforward. Uh, Relatively straightforward. He again, he would have had a lot of a lot of a lot of interest. Uh, Jimmy, you just look at the numbers that has been that has been posting. You look at the lack of front rowers uh, in the game, particularly big men with leg speed in the game. They, they do come at they do come at a premium. Uh, so he would have had other other opportunities. Uh, and again, uh, with Ellie and the girls, he's set, settled in really well. Uh, they feel real at home in in Warrington. They're at a lovely place in in in, in Stockton Heath. And again, he's he's absolutely absolutely happy. It's one of the best decisions he's ever made coming over here. That was that, that that's what that's what do you mean he said to me. So again, it was relatively relatively straightforward. Again, because we created that atmosphere, that environment where people enjoy coming to work. Look, don't get me wrong, winning certainly helps that. But he's in a really good space personally. So. Again, relatively, relatively straightforward. In terms of, uh, in terms of, like, I'm, I'm thinking Craig Harrison here because he talks about Moneyball all the time. But in terms of Moneyball signings, he's got to be up there. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's at the bottom of his salary cap, but even me, like, he's, <laughs> no, he's not. You know, <laughs> you know, but but nevertheless, the yeah. impact he's had and the the numbers he's posting and the influence he's had on seemingly the, the culture. Uh, as well, performance he's putting out on the field is what you would expect from someone that's among the top two percent of earners in this competition. Yeah. I don't think it's unfair to say that he, he, you know he's not in that bracket. You know, it's been, been fantastic in that for value for money. And that's the word, Matt. Value. That's the word. Are you getting? Are you getting real value? And you look at George as well. He he'll, he'll win this bracket. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Good offer, big offer, and Luton Paul's a, a good offer as well. But they're bringing value to the organisation mm-hmm. on field and off field as well. Yeah. No doubt delivering, I think, the best three players in the competition. Slightly biased, <laughs> admittedly. Don't think that, many can argue with you at the minute. To be yeah, the best three players in the competition. So in terms of on field value, they are delivering unbelievably. 
off field they are delivering unbelievably in terms of the standards in terms of holding players account in terms of professionalism uh the example they're showing to young not only young players but other players in the team they are providing outstanding value yeah um just looking looking slightly ahead um where where does retention recruitment go now because uh from a recruitment perspective or knows you, you know you're looking to replace uh, Thomas McHale, but you've also got your eye on 2024. Uh, and in terms of retention, there's still some pretty good players that are, are off contract. So, so where are you at in terms of both of those processes that, that work in tandem? Yeah. So, uh, in terms of players that are off contract this year, uh, yeah, we've uh, entered negotiations with. Uh, ben Curry and Daryl Clark's management team, we've put forward an offer to extend them. Uh, I've had some positive discussions with them, so hopefully we can bring that to a to a positive conclusion. Uh, we're also looking at a couple of players that are off in 2024 to extend them uh, for the next the next couple of uh, couple of years because uh, the market is really difficult. So you have to be really proactive. You have to be. Uh, planning way ahead, you have to have your succession in place, which we do. We look from first grade all the way down to under scholarship, under 15, 16, see where our gaps in and see where we need to future proof the club. Uh, so, yeah, we're always looking at advancing that. So, hopefully, we have some positive news to come out uh, with with that in the next in the next week or so. In terms of Thomas replacement, yeah, we're still actively looking. Uh, we're not going to push into a into a decision or into a, in for replacement and as i've mentioned earlier throughout, throughout the discussion today is is the character is the person is important in terms of delivering on the field to have the, the culture and the, the environment in a really good spot at the minute so it's important that whoever we bring in is totally aligned aligned to that so we'll just keep our powder dry matt and just let's uh, see if anything if any pop up and look something may not pop up do you know what I mean? If the right person, the right player doesn't come up, we'll just keep our powder dry and roll into next season. What it has, what it has done, it, it has made uh, a quarter spot available, which uh, which is which is great, which is positive, which opens up opportunities from from uh, from the NRL. So we'll just keep our powder dry and to continue to monitor the market, both in Super League and the NRL. Wigan, um, you know, we said biggest game of the season, great crowd. Um, hopefully, great crowd. It sounds like it's already going to be a fantastic crowd, but nearly a sellout. Yeah. How big a game is this? You, you know, you've won eight out of eight. You, you're not you, one loss isn't going to ruin your season at this point, is it? But how how important a game is this for one eye on the big stuff at the end of the year? Is it? You know, is yeah, it an important? Well, it, it, look, it's still relatively early days. It, we are only eight games in, into a a long season. So look, the season's not going to be made or break or broken on this fixture. And also you look at do you mean that the players that are on the sideline unfortunately won't 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 be available. Obviously Wigan unfortunately lost lost Coops at the weekend with an ACL, uh, Morgan Smith is banned, Jai Field injured, uh Cade Cust injured, and obviously we've got our own uh do you mean <laughs> lengthy injury list which is all in, in one position. So Look, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really tough game. Uh and you know what you get when you're coming up against Wigan, do you know what I mean? They're really, really firing and they are a champion team, so it's gonna be 
uh, whenever we play a wing, there's always there's always 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 fireworks, always always bad blood. It's us versus them, as we're, as we're labelling it. So look, it's going to be an absolute firecracker of a game, and do not want to not miss. It's going to be box office. But will our season be made or or lost on Friday's result? No, it won't. No, you uh, you won't be as nervous now about going into games, surely. <laughs> not not as nervous as you were round one. No, I think I think after the after the Salford win, after the Salford win, I've, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've set, settled down a bit. But when you're just totally invested in it, it is. It is well, you and I speak. It, it is my life. Do you know what I mean? As, yeah. as people speak about your work, you need that balance. Well, in my life, that's my wife. <laughs> there's, an, there's an imbalance, uh, which is good. I love it. I'm unbelievably fortunate to, to have this job and to work in the game. And it's I can't class it as working it. Doing watching involved in rugby league, it's it's absolutely absolutely fantastic. But uh, yeah, I'm a little bit a uh, little bit more relaxed going into going into games. You are that you. I will give you this. I have. I do not know anyone who works as long as you. <laughs> I I know that if 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 I need to speak to you, if I've got a to do list, it's like I need to touch base. You're the first person I get in touch with because I do it before eight o'clock. I've more chance of getting hold of you than if it's between eight and six because you're the, you're the bloke who's up at half five working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as I say, I mean, it's something I love. It's a passion. It's not. It's not a job. And I often say this that it's it is a lifestyle. And you know, it might be involved it in the But as long as your phone's on, you are working, irrespective of day, time, holidays. You are working, and I'm quite fortunate that I've got a I've got a wife that's she totally gets it. The kids get it. They love the game as well. So mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate in that respect that she doesn't uh, she doesn't start complaining when we're having we sat down for the dinner and the phone rings. I need to take it. Uh, so yeah, it's look. It's I'm, I'm very fortunate to be involved in this game. It's something I love, and uh, and I often say that to when we have work experience uh, students coming in wanting to work in professional sport I said that you've got to be prepared to accept this there is an imbalance and it is a lifestyle it mm. is a lifestyle you've got to be prepared for that because sport never sleeps as you know as you well know Matt yeah Pe- and people don't get that do they like this this industry I, even even now like I, I'll be out with friends you know be at a barbecue or just in the pub and I'll take a phone call or I'll get and they don't get it why are you doing that? I, yeah. I think that is the un, the unseen thing that people don't grasp about. It's not just rugby league, as you said, it's sport, but it is a the whole lifestyle job. It is it, it, everything, you know, whether it's just catching up with people on your day off or whatever, you know, going out for a beer with someone at night, whatever it is, it's there is that part of it that people people absolutely don't don't get to see. Oh, oh yeah, also as well. I mean, think of where the do you know what I mean the other main competition is is in Australia. Mm. So when you're, diff- you're working with different time zones, whether that's working with uh, an agent or a recruitment manager at another club, or you're speaking to a player, do you know what I mean the the unsociable hours that you need to make those calls, have those Zoom calls, yeah. or, or whatever it is. So yeah, as as long as your phone is on, you you are working. You are. That's, not, yeah. look, that, that, that's my decision. I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about it. We both. It. We, we both. We, everyone who does it loves it, don't they? They don't. You, you don't do it if you don't love it, because no. you, you would. You would go insane if you if you didn't. It's, yeah, uh, you, you have to. Do. You have to. And that was probably one of the frustration things last year. Was mm. look, I was getting, I was getting dogs abuse. Uh, as was Daryl. As was was other people. 
And when you're spending, do you know what I mean, ninety five percent of your of your waking time hours focus on the club and the team while getting dogs abuse, which I understand because of the results I totally get, totally get. Uh, that's the that's one of the one of the frustration things. It is. Well, at least I'm assuming it's got better. Surely you're not getting too many moans and groans at the minute. No, it's, early day, it's still early days yet. It's still early <laughs> days yet. And look, it's <clears throat> being the coach and, and the players that are getting applauded and absolutely so. Absolutely so. It's them that's going out there and, and delivering to a, a fantastic level. Some long may that continue. Yeah. Look, it's been lovely to have you on. I would, uh, I think we could talk all day, but I know that... We could, got... mate, but again, we could... You... You've got a heap of stuff. You've got a heap of stuff to do today, no doubt. Uh, you'll be wanting to get that sold out board nailed down somewhere. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave you to do it. Massive thanks for coming on and uh, good luck on Friday. Thanks, Matt. Keep up the good work, mate. I'll uh, see you soon. Super League chat time uh, to wrap up this episode of House of League. And with me to do so, a man who, uh, well, probably not, probably not had the best week of his life. Uh, our Hollish Seaman, Dan Tomlinson, who I assume has had a lot of grief he'd had to put up with this uh, this week. Dan, how uh, how have the last... Well, I suppose how have the last seven day, days been? Build up, follow up, <laughs> aftermath. Can't, can't be a good place to be. It's what it is, isn't it? Um, the mute button on Twitter is a godsend. I'll definitely say that. <laughs> Whether he invented that deserves a pay rise because it is sensational. But yeah, it, it, it is what it is, mate. Um, Hull FC are in a rut right now. They've got to, you know, do some deep soul searching to get themselves out of that, and you know, got to restore some things like pride and and passion and, and desire and things like that. But yeah, Rovers fully deserved their derby win, their biggest margin of of all time. I think it was only bettered by the forty two six in two thousand and seven. So. Yeah, I think the only thing to say is full credit to them. They wanted it more. They had more quality. They showed that. It showed how much it meant to the fans. I thought their fans were, in the, for the large majority, you know, very vocal, very passionate. Obviously, there's some stuff a bit ugly that will come out in the coming days. But, you know, as a derby goes, yeah, it was all, all about them and all about what they did. And credit to them. Just, just on FC, I mean, what is going on? And We did a podcast what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, looking at FC. Um, and there's probably not a great deal to add to that, but it's got worse, hasn't it? It's actually got worse since we did that. Yeah, it's nice to have messages even now, even though we did that a month ago, saying, you know, how bang on it is and how and how many people actually resolute and can respond to what we said. So, yeah, that's appreciated. In a way, it's, I'd rather they actually said we were talking a lot of nonsense and it ain't as bad as that. But the reality is, it is as bad as that. And yeah, Hull FC, they're in a deep hole, aren't they? It's, it, it's, it's, it's a really tough one to answer because it's been like this for a while. And and you sort of document it and you get your head around it and you put it out there and, and you get laughed at. But here we are, four or five years later. I think that's how far we're going back here. The warning signs were there in 2018. I remember writing pieces for you know, for in previous jobs and saying, look, if all that put their ideas up and sort out retention and recruitment, then they're going to suffer down the line. <laughs> and I got absolutely lynched for saying that. And yet here we are. There's no pleasure in that or enjoyment. It's just, if I can see it, then why can't other people see it? And more importantly, why don't those at the top see it? But yeah, it's going to, it's going to get worse. We said that. So that's not a surprise. So let's see, you're going to get, going to get, it's going to get worse. The results are going to get worse. The performances are going to get worse, especially when people know the fit. That's the key thing there, obviously, 20-plus off contract. 
we're the first is fast approaching and they're going to know if they're coming or going. So, and their performances will, will dilute off that. So, yeah, it's no surprise to me. It's just literally, I can't believe it. We're eight rounds into a season we're worrying about next year already. That's the state that Hull SC have got to. And it's, it's a shame, really, because the fans don't deserve that. I mean, 15,000 for the opener, 20,000 on Good Friday. You know, they're averaging, they're going to average probably 11 this season again, as they have done for every single season since it's been at the MKM Stadium. So, yeah, it's a travesty, really. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's just hard to see where they go because the the challenge you've got, Dan, is you know big turnover players, and you've talked about the challenges that'll bring with the blokes that are leaving. But who wants to sign for LFC right now? If 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 you're brutally honest about it, you know they they don't have some of the benefits of other clubs in terms of, and people from Hull will hate me saying this, but it is true, geographically. It puts people off. It just does, rightly or I'd say wrongly, but it does put players off because they don't. It's a bit cut off from, you know, your Manchester's and your Leeds. Uh, now, for me, I'd be like, well, if you if you come in to play rugby and play good rugby, then you know, shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter anyway. It seems to do, but also, and and this was a point made to me, and and. You may be able to counter this and say there are examples, but the point that was made to me was name the last player that signed for Hull FC whose stock was higher when they left than it was when they joined. And you know what? I do struggle to think of an example. It's a tough one. Yeah, we all, ironically, it's something that has been spoken on the terraces that when players leave Hull FC, they don't actually go on and do better things. That's probably counting a little bit by Mark Snead, who obviously played for England in the World Cup last season. Everyone's actually realising that. You know, it wasn't the biggest problem. Hull is actually a pretty decent halfback, as he's still launched on trophies testified. But, hey-ho. Uh, Jake Connor, you'd like to think, would be another one of those. Look at him and I think he's one of the most marketable players in Soul League. And you're just waiting for him to, you know, unleash himself at Huddersfield. So, yeah, you probably look at those two. But, yeah, I get where you're coming from. You're looking at players that have left and they've not really done Sorry, anything. I meant it the other way in. Round who what I would try to say is who's joined Hull FC and when they've departed, they were seen as a more valuable player. Um, so Sneed, I would I would argue his stock was higher when he when he left, to be fair, than when he joined, probably. Um and well, yeah, I suppose Connor too, but they they've they've then ultimately been got rid of by Hull, haven't they? So the, the two players that you use an example, Hull decided to move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they've they've left off their own accord or you know FC have cashed in on them. FC have actually chosen to move them on. And they are the two players that you'd go, well you know what, actually. Which is crazy, isn't it? Which is crazy. But then you look at all the players they've signed and whose reputation has been enhanced during their period at Hull FC. Well, I'm with you now. Yeah, that it's a really tough question, and, I, and I'm going to answer it in hindsight. You hope that person will be Jake Truman, obviously when he when he returns to to the field next month. Um, but other than that, you 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 pausing and you're thinking it, that is a really tough question to ask. And if anything, that probably explains why Hull FC have had the downward downward spiral that they've had over the past few years. And just literally looking at the squad right in front of me now and. It's really tough to answer that question. It really is. You know, these are players that, in the overseas case, they've come over as unknown quantities. You know, played a few NRL games and 
and sort of like you know made the first team career if you like at OFC. But yeah, you're looking, you can't really say there's a player that's that in that current squad that's come and done that. And yeah, I'm just looking now and thinking, yeah, Jake Truman, he's gonna have to be the player that that breaks that habit a little bit. Yeah, it's that that is for me the epitome of the problem when you, you're struggling to think of a player whose reputation has actually got better after being at Hull FC and the two players that you could argue FC decided to move on themselves. It, it, yeah, it's depressing. We, we look at what Warrington have just done now, you know, they've got George Williams, who everyone was criticising left, right and centre this time last year. Now, you know, he had an outstanding World Cup at the back end of last year and he's started this season as the best player in Super League by a country mile. So, you know, you spin it on that front, look what Warrington have done to George Williams' career. You know, you could, you could probably argue Paul Vaughan in there, you can argue Matt Dufty, you can argue loads of different players. It's it's the same at Wigan and St. Owens, they bring players on, they bring, I don't want to say average players, got a bit disrespectful, but players that are hyped up as much as others and then they turn them into like superstars and yeah, Hull FC don't do that. That's obviously something they're going to have to address and I think it goes back to what Carl Fitzpatrick said earlier in this podcast about identifying the right players, you know, the right the right characteristics and players that are actually going to bring your group and galvanise them and, and go forward. And obviously, Hull FC haven't been ticking those boxes with the, who they've brought into the club recently. It's it's a sad realisation. It's a tough realisation, but I think it's an honest one as well. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, moving on, we might as well move on to Warrington. Um <laughs> they're, in a, they're, the, they're the hope for, for Hull FC, aren't they, I suppose? That's what Hull FC will be. It'll be hoping that happens to them. Um, but they they just keep ticking all the boxes. They keep jumping over all the hurdles put in front of them. Um, that game against Catalan was excellent. Fantastic. Look, it was a fantastic round, let's be honest, in terms of spectacle, attendances, uh, quality of games on the, on the large part. Brilliant round for, of rugby league. Brilliant, not just Super League, but rugby league in general. But that Warrington Catalans game really was excellent. And for them to win in France and to do it with twelve men for fifteen minutes when they were really under the pump, I, I, I dare I say it, I'm starting to think that Warrington <laughs> might actually, they might, they might actually finally be have found the year, maybe. Maybe. Dare I say it, eight rounds in, I'm not sure. That's the problem, isn't it? It's still two thirds of the season to go, plus the playoffs and, and Challenge Cup as well. I don't know what's going to happen there. But you look at what Wire have done now compared to last season and you just take your hat off and applaud them. You know, how tough that must have been for that club to think, oh, yeah, she'll just she'll get rid of Powell. Should we let him go now? Or is it one, two defeat? Is it one, you know, one defeat so far? Those are conversations or certainly thought processes that would have been going through, you know, the top heads of that wire club, but they didn't. They stuck to the guns. They were brave. They were patient. How nervy is that? That's balls of steel for me. That's, you know, it's pretty incredible, really, because you think in this day and age of sport, oh, everything's going wrong. Well, just hang the coach out to dry. That happens in football all the time. It happens in rugby, both codes. You know, it happens in every team sport possible. Oh, they're just blame the coach. But why it didn't? They stuck to the guns. I think it's, the turnaround, I think, is incredible. And yeah, you're right. That game, against Catalans at the weekend was absolutely superb. It was the best game of the season so far, I think, entertainment-wise. It was it was gripping. You couldn't take your eyes off it. And You had a couple of people message me saying, oh, Catalans had the full first-choice spine missing. But, yeah, you still got to go to Perpignan. It's hostile. You know, everyone who's been down there to the, you know, Gilbert Brutus knows exactly what it's like. It's intimidating. Those locals over there, the French, they, 
really get behind the team and they don't like us, do they? They don't like us English and they make that known. And it's always a tough place to go. So I think regardless of what team Catalans had out, why I deserve a, you know, a hell of a lot of credit for what they did on Saturday, going down there and getting two, you know, two points. And the fact they did it, you know, playing with 12 men for 15 minutes after Jill Dodson's moment of madness, just adds more credit to them. They're just finding ways to win, aren't they? You know, you think they're down and out and they pull that out. You know, they're obviously a try, Josh Fielis, you know, scoring the winner from, again, George Williams. So, yeah, they've really impressed this me this year. They've been really good. I think the signings that they've brought in, you know, they've got a hell of a pack now. They've, you know, signed three or four huge bodies in the, in the middle of the park and it's, and it, it's just, they're just getting on a roll and they've got a good hooker, obviously, in Daryl Clark, you know, backed up by Danny Walker, you know, they get, get those forwards rolling, then you give George Williams the time and the space to do his thing and it's, it's paying dividends right now. It just shows that the process, it can be done. You know, no one's going to say there's any guarantees to Hull FC that they can follow suit with Warrington next year, but, you know, why you're proof that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you can always turn it around. I'll tell you what as well. Do you know what? I think Catalans are massive winners out of that game because you alluded to the fact that they didn't have the first choice. By not only that, they put, they've got a lot of French lads playing at the minute. French lads we've not seen a great deal of, if at all. And they are coming in and looking like genuinely good Super League players. Now, one of the big criticisms of Catalans over the years is that they don't produce enough of their own. However, that tide looks to be changing now. And they, they have got some genuinely good, good players coming through their system. And you know what? I I think Catalans, why Warrington have obviously had the best year so far. I don't think Catalans are too far behind because these lads that are coming through look like players that can not only maintain what, what they've done over the last couple of years, I think they might actually be able to push them on further again. I couldn't agree more. And- it's something Sam Tonkins has spoken of a lot, actually, when he's come on the likes of Sky Sports and other areas like that, come on as a pundit. And he said exactly that. And you, you, you have to agree with him. You look at what Arthur Mogg's done for the past couple of seasons. I thought Arthur Romano was absolutely excellent when, on, on Saturday. He's awesome. awesome. I think he ran for about 190 metres, something like that. So, yeah, he was a proper threat with the ball. And, and you, know, you think of players like Jordan Desiree, you know, Mathieu Laguerre at centre, they've got... Yeah, some really good up and coming French players, and it probably is a little bit overdue. We thought that when they came into Super League in 2006, they'd enhance the French international side. It didn't really pan out like that. Probably did need a little bit of time. I mean, what looking now, 15, 17 years on, they're starting to do that now. Let's hope that they can continue to do this, bring those French players through, make them the cornerstone of the Dragons' side, and then obviously transfer that through to, to France because obviously England play France at the end of the, this month. and England need a competitive game, so the better Catalans are doing and the more players they bring through, in theory, that's only good for the you know England and in the international game as well. Yeah, we've seen the IMG recommendations as well, haven't we? Um, that they, they will have to have more um, homegrown players in and amongst their squad. So I don't know if, if that is a, a consequence of it. The fact, I, I mean, it can't be because you don't just pluck them out of thin air and make them Super League standard players. It's clearly been years of development however it's good it's good to see them giving more and more and more young lads a chance to come through the system uh, as long may it continue because as you say it's great for the game um who else do we want to speak about this week i want to speak about uh before we go on to wigan saints i want to speak about salford dan um they won again 
good win over Lee because uh, it's been proven now that beating Lee is a pretty decent win. Um, I just worry for them actually, uh, and I, I I feel it's important to say this now rather than in months ahead uh, when anyone could say, "Oh, well, it's obvious." I do worry that they're going to really drop off. Um, their injuries are concerning. They're consistently scrapping around to just have a 21-man squad. They had 20 last week. They got 21 this week. I just think the, the injuries are going to catch up on them. And, and, and the reason I think it's important to mention is because we've, we've seen in recent weeks and months, they've, they've re-signed the likes of Brody Croft, and we all know about that mega multi-year deal. Uh, Callum Watkins, Andy Ackers, but it all comes at a cost. You know, these players, we talk about enhancing reputations. All those guys have enhanced their reputation at Salford, and that means that the salary cap value goes up, and that means that to keep them, Salford have to spend more money. But the problem is Salford don't spend salary cap. They have a budget, and that budget isn't going as far. It isn't spreading as far now. And, you know, they've let players go. Ryan Lannan's left, and Sargentson retired, and they're not replacing them. And they're not replacing them because the money's been freed up by signing these guys onto new deals. Um and I'm just worried it's going to catch up with them. You know, they've they've broken that cycle of losing the best players, which is fantastic. Uh, and and ultimately needed to do. But I think the cost of that is a smaller squad. And I think that is ultimately going to hurt them just as much as losing a Jackson Hastings or a Ben Murdoch Messiah or a Nia Levels or the multiple players they've lost over the years. Um, and I am worried for them because I think, I think whichever way they try and do it, Salford, I think they've, they're close to hitting that ceiling until they can find the way to spend more money. No, I get it. And that's the risk you run when you uh, have a small squad like that, you pick up a few injuries, ultimately you're going to struggle and, yeah, I've seen Paul Worley mention, you know, not being not being able to field a, a 21 a few times this season now. And you, you look at what they've done. Obviously, the side Brody crossed on a huge deal, biggest in well, one of the biggest certainly in Super League history. You think, well, you probably could have got maybe four or five players for that. There are say four or five players to bulk your squad, so, but then you won't have a star halfback. So it's about that balance in it. Salford will see. See, as if they keep Brody Croft on the field, then they've justified what they've done. If they keep, you know, like some Max Lead on the field as well, they've justified what they've done. So, yeah, obviously they've gone very top-heavy on their most important players, which is completely different to historically losing all the best players and filling it with all due respect, genuine. That's what they've done in the past. But now they've got genuine quality. and it, We said this at the start of the season. If they keep their players on the field, they will do well. But if they lose a couple of those key players, then that's when you worry for them and, 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 and yeah, we've got some replies saying that's the same for everyone. Yeah, but other teams can cope with it better because they've got more depth in the squad. Salford haven't got that. So, you know, right now they're ticking along. They're still in the top six picture. You know, they scraped the win, obviously, at Lee. You've got to be careful what I say about Lee so I don't want to upset anyone. But, yeah, Salford, you look at them. They're hard-working. They've got a lot of desirable traits. I mean, don't forget I watched them come to all and absolutely annihilate FC. They put 60 points past them. They played some absolutely lovely stuff. It was some great rugby league. They've got some talent in that side, a lot of skill, you know, a lot of pace, a lot of charisma, and a lot to like about them as well. I, yeah, but I see, I see your concern, and I think it's probably shared within as well. They probably won't admit that, but it will be there. And but as, as long as they're digging wins out, you know, as as they did on Saturday, and as long as they're ticking along, and 
and being competitive. I don't think they'll worry too much. But yeah, I think the, the key for them, obviously, and it's it's a pretty obvious thing to say, but it's keeping those key players on the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I hope it works out for them, but I just, I don't know. I think, I think because they've avoided injuries for so long that it's easy to look overlook it. But I, I do think that it might catch up with them. Um, Shows the importance of an academy and a strong reserve grade system. And also, <laughs> the first first job I had in rugby league was being an academy slash reserve reporter and. I used to interview coaches and players all the time. They used to say, yeah, this is imperative. This is absolutely imperative. We need a strong reserve grade for our competition so our players are ready to play Super League. Everyone scratches their head with it why it's not there. You know, you've got some clubs who will put more effort into it than others. And, and here we are, you know, five, six, year, five, six years later, nothing's changed. I think that is absolutely imperative. And until it's mandatory for every single Super League club to do that and to have it every single week, we're going to have situations like this. If Salford could call on a strong reserve grade, won't even be talking about this because they could pick out two or three quality kids from that system and bring them through. It's the same anywhere else. You know, Wigan have done it for years. Leeds did it. Bradford did it. St. Owens did it. There's a reason they're the only four winners of Super League. I agree completely. I agree completely. Um, you know, even Warrington now, we talk about all the big players they've, they've signed, but there's like Fulis, isn't there? There's Wrench. Um... And some of their some of their signings that they've brought in younger, like James Harrison, uh, Matty Nicholson, that they've you know they've helped develop, are, are reaping benefits as well. Um, you know they've maybe counteracted not having as um, productive an academy, but have signed some younger players. Those two are good examples that have ultimately, um, you know, improved at the club and become really good players. So anyway, it's, it's it's a conversation that we'll no doubt have at a different time. But I just just thought that was something I wanted to flag. Um, finally, uh, just this week, I want to speak about a Wigan, but probably more so St Helens. Um, Wigan, excellent win, huge crowd. Do you think everyone's overlooking them, Dan, at the minute? Well, I've got a hundred pound bet with one of my mates that he thinks they won't finish in the top four. I said they will, so I'm looking forward to finishing the top four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to the end of season night out with that hundred pound in the back pocket. That's a nonsense. Uh, Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no. They're always up there. It's Wigan. It's what they do, (laughs) and you know, rarely back against them. And yeah, they're a champion organisation. Obviously, their culture is outstanding. It always has been. Hard working. They have a way of playing and they stick to that and, and they back it and they believe in it. And yeah, sometimes it don't work, but more than often it does. And they reap the rewards from that. And yeah, I've got so much respect for Wigan as a club for what they've done in the Super League era. But not only that, for what they've done throughout their entire history as well. It's, you know, the, arguably the biggest club in the league in the world. I think I'll find it hard to argue against that. So yeah, I think obviously it's a huge loss for them losing Mike Cooper for the rest of the season with an ACL injury. But you know, they, that's, we just talked about Salford and not having that that strong system behind the first team. Wigan have got that, and you just know that the next person will step up because that's what they do. It's the Wigan way. Oh, they lose someone; it's no dramas. The next one just comes off the you know off the cabin, and they go again. You know, we've seen it with Morgan Smithies coming in. We've seen it with Ethan Havard. I remember you put a status on Twitter actually a couple of weeks back saying how underrated he is, and I couldn't agree more. He's an absolutely outstanding young player. Class, class, class. and that's what we can do, and that's why they'll never ever be in trouble. 
St. Helens, I suppose more so, um, this Morgan Knowles stuff. He's been banned for five matches for uh, a tackle that saw Mike Cooper do his ACL. Uh, he'll be out for nine to 12 months, potentially out for, well, might end his career. You know, he, he could do with the ages at his contract situation. Uh, but he's been blown up by the, the Jermaine McGilvery tweet where he posted footage of an injury he suffered against Saints in a tackle that also involved Knowles. And I think that's just escalated this story into a, a whole different stratosphere. Um, and, and McGilvery's come out very passionately about it in the in the press as a follow up. I just wondered what your take on on this is, Dan. Uh, is it have we got an issue in terms of the tackle technique? Is the criticism aimed at Knowles valid, or is it a witch hunt? Um, yeah, what's what's your take on the whole thing? Oh, you you only have to search Morgan Knowles's name on the RFL disciplinary system and he's been cited 44 times since 2018. Nine of those have brought charges. That's a lot. You know, that's a lot. And obviously we've had the two COVID years that have brought obviously the appearance totals down, but 44 times that to me suggests there's a problem. And I'm not gonna say anything daft like Morgan knows is a horrible human being or anything like that. I don't know the bloke. I've never said a word to him in my life. But those numbers don't do him any favours. Obviously, there's, a, there's the pantomime villain thing, isn't there, what happened last year before the grand final, where he got out of jail and obviously got his ban rescinded to play at Old Trafford. It happens again now. You know, a da- obviously, a dangerous contact charge. It's a tough one. It is a really tough It's a tough one. But you've got to look at tackle technique as a whole and the wrestle and the three-manning stuff and twisting and turning and obviously, you know, one hit, two at two top one, obviously, do the chop at the bottom and... You get peeling off and pressure on joints and you know body weight and it's going to cause injury. That's the reality of it. You know you can see that at any level. It happens in the amateur game. It happens in the Championship, League One, you know, Super League as well. It's it's always going to happen. And it's interesting because I speak to a coach every single week who's very old school. He thinks you should just hit throw a player, hit low, hit under the ball, and he don't buy into all this three man nonsense and. It probably depends on which coach, coach you speak to, but obviously it's it's rampant in the modern day game now. That's how teams defend. That's how they have done for a good three, four years now. So, yeah, it, to say that there's a problem with technique when everyone's doing it would be a bit naive because obviously the return and the injuries aren't there. But when when you get an incident like this and obviously you get you get a season-ending injury on the back of it, you can only question it, can't you? But to say it's you know knows is malicious or anything like that, I think it's dangerous. To say that it's a one-off, obviously, is wrong because it's not a one-off. And I must admit, I read that piece with Jermaine McGilvery, and it's very passionate play, wasn't it? It's very fiery as well. And you know, there's a couple of points there that again that link back to tackle technique and and the way and the way we've got to look at it and the way we do you know twist players and turn them and put pressure on joints and, and obviously a lot of weight as well. And there's a lot more people qualified than me that will have these studies and have, have the answers to this. And it'd be very interesting to actually have some data put in, you know, data put in front of our eyes about, you know, how many injuries compared to previous years you get because of these, you know, incidents. And yeah, it's, it's a tough question to answer. It really is. Um, there's just, all you can say is that you just hope it doesn't happen again. And unfortunately it's rugby league. It will because the game's getting that, 
the problem is everyone wants to slow the game down now, though, because it's got that quick. You know, the, obviously, six again has sped the game up as well. It's just so fast. You've got athletes everywhere you look. You know, teams are looking at ways they can get around that. And, and obviously, this this holding up in the tackle before the chop is one of them. But unfortunately, the reality is that's also going to cause injury. And it's sort of like a double-edged sword that rugby league as a collective, as a sport, needs to work out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, in, not in defence, but playing devil's advocate, I think, yeah, he's been cited 44 times, but he has only been banned... I believe four times, um, which were all last season. Though you know he got banned, I think four times last year. Uh, did actually get a fifth, but obviously got off on a technicality. Effectively, that's what it was um, with that uh, chicken wing on Chris Atkin before the grand final. Um, so he has effectively been banned five times in the last. What? Um, last five times in the last twelve months, I think that's right. Um, yeah, twelve to fifteen months. Up on it that. actually he got banned. He got banned earlier this year, didn't he? After playing Hull, did he not? Did he not get two games for a late hit? I believe he did. Uh... So I think, I think actually, it's the sixth suspension he's had since July of last year. Which does suggest there's a problem. It does, yeah. But again, it goes back to the St. Owens. St. Owens for three, four years now have been a very, very dominant team in that wrestle. They're aggressive and they're in your face, and they get on top, and they do slow that rook down, and they hold you up, and then they and then they chop. And obviously, they're the best team at doing that, and have been, as I say, for that time period. So that that suggests that I don't want to defend them, but. That suggests that when you're in control more, you're going to have more instances because you're putting players under those stresses, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it, I'm not saying Knowles is a dirty player or anything like that, but, it, yeah, that record and those numbers don't exactly help him or enhance his case. But I, I, I don't think it's fair to pick on St. Owens. I think it's a, it's a game-wide issue that I, I think we need to look at it, but you can't just go out on a hot, you know, go out on a, on a thing on a limb here and say, oh yeah, the game needs to do this or it needs to do that. I think we have to have the data presented in front of us to actually analyze these things. Same time, you know, in the same context as your head injuries, that's what that's what that's what sport have done, aren't they? They've, they've analyzed the data and they've realized that this happens and this happens, and that's why the shoulder charge got outlawed, you know, many years ago now. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what studies get presented with this because sport scientists, it's it's evolving all the time, and and they will be looking into this and. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially while it remains a hot topic to see what comes from it. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I I almost feel for Knowles because I do think that he's been, a lot of it's been aimed at him um, and I don't think it's a Morgan Knowles isolated issue. At the same time, he clearly has some things to work on if he's been banned six times since July of last year. Um, I think that's how I'd look at it. Um, I think that's pretty much it, Dan. I'll tell you what, quickly. What what on earth are Leeds Rhinos? I I, I can't get my head around them. I, I really, really am struggling. Um, the, their results sum them up. This season they've beat uh, St. Helens, Catalans and Huddersfield, but have lost to Castleford and Hull FC. They are bonkers. And I, I have no idea how 
how you can put your finger on them as a as a team and, and what they're all about at the minute. Crazy. It, 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 mental, the enigma that is Leeds Rhinos. And you think that defeat to Hulker was sandwiched in between two of the best home performances they've probably seen in five years. So, it, crazy. I always whinge about all saying I never know what I'm going to get watching OFC. With Leeds Rhinos, what, you know, what the heck do they think going to watch their team every week? It's crazy. But it's, it's, it's also like the hot and cold within games. Like they can go like not to 60 in, in no time at all. I mean, I watched the doubleheader. I thought the women's game was a good good advert, by the way, for a season opener. I really yeah. enjoyed watching watching York and I don't, I don't know what they had to offer. But yeah, Leeds, they started that game atrociously. And you're thinking, oh, I just feel they're going to walk this. Then they just came back and it's like, it's like when they play on the front foot, but when they play fast and direct, that's when it brings the best out of them. When they're laboured and they try to go with structure, that for me, it just don't work with Leeds, does it? I think they've got. No, it does. I completely agree. I completely agree. When when they're in a, an arm wrestle, I think the miles off. But when when they're playing ad hoc or when they're playing in broken play, or it's all just a little bit chaotic, they seem they seem unstoppable. But that's rugby league in it. I think I'd argue with this with anyone. Rugby league over the past 10, 15 years has gone completely the other way in, in, in how it should be played. It's got it's got too monetized, it's too structured at times. And, and when it's structured, it, can, it sometimes it can be an eyesore if I'm being if I'm being brutally honest. And our sport is about excitement and about entertainment. And and when I think you know they are entertaining, Dan, there's no taking that away from them. They are yeah. entertaining. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what off the cuff rugby brings. It's it's exciting when the, you see an offload or a pass or a or a, you know a different move or play that you don't necessarily associate with the norm. And, and Leeds Rhinos are, are past masters of that. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they throw up on Friday night because that, let's face it, it's a lesser opposition that they're coming up against. It's not a, a top four side like a you know a Huddersfield or a, or a Catalans or, or even a St Helens that they've beaten. So yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what they get what we get from Leeds Rhinos and. Quite looking forward to watching them actually, you know, with rubber league hat on here, thinking, you know, what, what they're going to produce. It, are they going to succumb to, to their opposition standards or are they going to maintain their own levels? It'll be it'll be very interesting to see what unfolds. Yeah, me and Dan will both be there. Uh, all things rugby league live on Friday night at Headley for that game. We'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you as ever, Dan. I'll uh, look forward to seeing you Friday. I'd, you might be ready to get off as, as soon as who has gone. If it's, a, if it's another. If it's another uh, disaster for the black and whites, but then again, Leeds are probably the same they'll they'll beat the way that <laughs> the way that Leeds. Are. Well, FC will probably be looking at it thinking, you know what, we can get a result here. Yeah, yeah, that's rugby league, though, isn't it? That's the beauty of it. You just never know what's going to happen. No, you don't. You don't. We will find out in the coming days. A big thanks to Dan. Big thanks to Carl Fitzpatrick too, and George Williams. Uh, for coming on the show back again next week hope you've enjoyed this episode a uh, big week end of rugby league to come make sure you enjoy that and we will see you all very shortly take care